0: once a cheater, always a cheater. a cheater. So if someone steals, oh, you are a thief. Someone lies, you are a liar. So we assume behavior
1: is everything. We tend to champion people who have got crazy behavioral shortcomings. Henry Ford, who's a real authoritarian. Elon Musk, the guy misses his birthday and never sees his kids and sleeps in the office like Gary Vee. Basically, in the back of taxis, texting, you know, just always on the go, go, go. It all just seems so flawed when I look at it. When people are hanging on to a behavior that doesn't serve them well, they're getting a payoff. They're getting a benefit for that behavior. What I discovered is that insecurity is like rocket fuel. Uh, in
0: your 20s if you are still being driven by insecurity beyond midlife you are now the insecure wanker Wanker in in the
1: room i'm saying to other people your goal is not to work less make more unless that's your goal that was my goal at this stage in life if you want to make 10 million or whatever and you feel that that's the only thing that has to happen i will help you achieve your goal here's the label right here's the warning that comes with that This is James Schramko. James Schramko, welcome back to my podcast. This is episode 1042. And today we're going to address this idea that insecurity is a solvable problem for that. I've brought along Jamin Fraser. Welcome. James. Thanks for having me. So I heard about your book through a friend of mine called Dan Dobos. And he's my trusted resource guide. When he sends me a link to something or says, you should check this out, I always do because he's one of those esteemed referrers who everything he sends is really high quality. And I try and be that for him too. Mm. In fact, I try and be that for everyone who listens to my podcast. I want to be a trusted source of good intel. And he said, you should check out this book, Elegantly Simple Solutions to Complex People Problems. And I don't want to put my hand over your author name there, Jamin Fraser. And he said, this is a really good book. So I got the book, read the book. And I really like the book. It was actually quite some time ago. It's not a brand new book either. I think your book's a similar age to my book. And this is the book that I have purchased the most copies of over the last year or so, where I see someone who needs this book and I just get them the book or I tell people. And where it comes up a lot is when someone says, Can you talk to me more about mindset or, uh, you know, how do I deal with this situation? And then, of course, Being in the industry that we're in where we're helping people uh, pretty closely, it's pretty obvious when someone isn't quite getting the results they want or they have something that they feel or perceive as to, to be a huge issue. But we know it's solvable and you've developed a framework to help people solve that. So I'm really excited to talk about this just because I want to make this a good share. I want to make this resource known to my audience because I actually know some people in my audience. When I've looked at our socials, I've seen there's some connections there And some of them have been working with you, getting great results as well in this area. So welcome to the show and thanks for doing such a great book. Look, thanks for having me. And it's always a joy to get to talk to people about places they're
0: stuck in and and places they're suffering in. Because if you can think clearly and uh, bring
1: a map of uncharted territory, it's extraordinary what becomes possible. So I think we sort of got connected again by one of my clients who I recommended the book tagged you on social media. That's right, yeah. And then, uh, you know, I said, oh, you come and talk about this. I'd love it if we can first address what is the field that you would say you specialize in so that we can identify if this episode's interesting for us?
0: Well, I've branded myself as the, the Insecurity Project. So I've gone solely into talking about personal insecurity as a solvable problem in spite of the best advice from my business coach saying, never do that, that's the wrong name insecurity is a vulnerable subject people are insecure about being insecure that won't work you can't do that it goes against business rule you've got to pitch the prize not the problem but nevertheless that's what I decided to do and that's what I've stuck to um, so insecurity
1: well that's interesting you know as a business coach I guess that's hmm. the first thing that comes to mind when you say insecurity it's like you're definitely talking to the people who have who are problem aware And almost certainly, they're not aware of how to solve it because they wouldn't be stuck there in the first place. But I wanted to tell you from the work that I do, your book was really helpful to me. I would say anyone who coaches or looks after other people, a parent or someone in a relationship would also get real value from the tools in there. There's some very interesting distinctions about how to deal with people in regard to judgment. Can we talk about that for just a moment? Because that's something I think you would say is quite different about the way you've approached it to what a lot of other people do when they're coaching.
0: Yeah, well, let me tell you the story that started me thinking this way. Um, My dad is a sheep farmer from Collector, regional New South Wales, a town of 150 people, took me into the shearing shed when I was 10 or 12 and asked me if I thought wool burnt. And I thought it did. I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Oh, sorry, no. I, I, sorry, I, thought, I was sure it didn't because I'd seen an ad on TV about wearing pajamas made of wool that that was safe, so that no, it doesn't burn. He says, "Well, watch this," and he got a match, uh, a fresh handful of wool just shorn, lit a match underneath it, and it caught on fire straight away. Then, as soon as he took the match away, the fire went out. And he said, "Look, the, the lanolin in wool is flammable, but only when exposed to a, an external flame." And he said something that I've never forgotten. And that is the answer to the question around judgment. He says, um, that's what it's like working with people a lot of the time. It looks like they're burning, but it's actually all you. And when you stop doing what you're doing, the fire goes out. And so I think the most subtle, but probably the worst form of judgment is wanting. When you want something from someone, but, but something for someone. So you think your best chance of being useful is what I, I really, I want you to be happy. I want you to be successful. In that moment, you're positioning yourself as the expert in their life and therefore you are superior. You are judging them, their results uh, and speaking down to them. And while it might feel nice to have someone wanting for you, it's never useful. And there is a resentment internally because they're positioning themselves as your superior and whatever results are gained are only a short term. So the language I've developed uh, since writing that book in my most uh, my one of my more recent books is get help from someone who does not care about you. So my first job when I get the privilege of coaching is to convince a person I don't give a shit about them that although I look like a person who cares, I won't lose any sleep over them. I'll forget about them. I'm not the one with the problem. And so this ability to serve wholeheartedly, sure I care. Like I'm a nice person, but I would never dare bring that caring into the conversation. My job is to create a safe space, a clean space for them to tell the truth. And if there's any judgment, they can't afford to tell the truth in case what they reveal is wrong implicates them. So, uh, yeah, this judgment-free space is clean conversation. I think it's coaching at its best. I think it's the most empowering conversation you can have, and it's extraordinary what you can see when there is no judgment. It becomes safe to see anything.
1: Yeah, I think that's very profound. Gosh, it reminds me of when I used to sell Mercedes-Benz And I'd have a customer there with a motoring problem, otherwise they wouldn't have visited the showroom, and they'd be trying to convince me uh, that I need to do this particular deal or whatever that wasn't going to work for the dealership. And I think I instinctively knew this same philosophy because I would say, look, the decision's all yours, but in about 20 minutes from now, I'm going to get in my Mercedes-Benz and drive home. You get to choose what you're driving home in today and tomorrow. like that's up to you so it's kind of saying well my problem is not your problem (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah, exactly I'm sorted (laughs) I'm all good it's up to you to make your own choice if you make this deal too hard you're telling me that you don't want to buy and that's fine go home drive your shit box home and uh, stay in it for all I care so I guess it was if it's it's an interesting um perspective and you probably won't hear that from a lot of coaches a lot of coaches are going to say oh I want this for you. I I care about you so much. I love love you, and I want this for you because I feel like you'd be living it <laughs> less of a life. And it, in fact, a lot of the instafluencers are espousing this sort of stuff. It seems quite toxic, actually.
0: Well, I think the most cliched, lightweight versions of it. You go into someone's house or an Airbnb. We were just staying out in Budapest. You walk in. There's a big poster on the wall. Never forget. You are awesome. You are beautiful. You are strong. You are. It's like. How do you know? Like, what, what, what is that? Like, how is that ever useful to any single person who decided that that was a good idea? It's ridiculous. No one's coming to save you. You've got to work this stuff out for yourself. I like what you, the example you used around the Mercedes because you said, look, I'm getting home in my Mercedes, so I know what it's like. Mm. Your problem's not my problem, but I know what it's like. So if you would like to solve that problem, sure, I can help, but your choice So this idea of embodied wisdom, so I'm non-negotiable about smoking what I'm selling. I'm saying, yeah, I have solved this problem for myself and I live out of the fruit of that. So yeah, I can be helpful easy, really easily, but you've got to want it because me wanting it for you, uh, that's horrible.
1: That's really unfair and you wouldn't want me to do that. There was something also profound for me and this this helped me in a relationship that I've been challenged with, with someone who sort of is a little bit closed down, a little bit I guess you'd say down or whatever. I, modern terms might say depressed or whatever, but I don't. I heard someone define depressed as when you just don't know what you want. <laughs> that was, I think, in nonviolent communication. But you had this really profound awareness that when people are hanging on to a behavior that doesn't serve them well, they're getting a payoff for that. They're getting a benefit for that behavior. And that was like,
0: whoa, you're
1: right. If they're not going to do something, then someone will just come and do it for them and enable them. So it actually is in their interest to keep that down behavior because everyone's just going to do everything for them and now it all makes sense.
0: Well, it's true. I had a client with depression, had depression for 30 years, and his brother made him come see me. He finally agreed. And my very first question to him was, okay, so how is this depression not a problem for you? Like, well, no, it is a problem because of this, this, and this. I said, I understand that. What I'm curious about is how is it not a problem? But it is a problem. Yeah, but how's it not a problem? And I just wouldn't let that question go. And he got quite upset. And by the way, the only way I could possibly ask that question is if I don't care. So I've already set up this clean space. Now let's have the real conversation. Let's just tell the truth. And so to hold that space for him, he finally realizes, oh my goodness, I have this magic card that I've got in my back pocket that I can play the moment. I feel vulnerable as a parent, as a friend, as an employee. I've got a card I can put on the table that is respected by the people in my world. I've got depression, don't you know? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. I can He can escape behind that card for a week at a time if he needed to. That's a powerful thing. That's working at a high level. You wouldn't cut that card up you know, on a whim. So- It's Dr. Phil who popularized that idea, his shows. Someone would come on his show and he'd say, how's that working for you? And they'd say, it wouldn't, it's not. And he'd say, well, that's strange. Uh, Why do you still do it then if it's not working? You're not that stupid to do something again for no reward. So it is the most violent and empowering form of personal development truth. And the only way you get to have that conversation is in the clean space. So, but it's transformational because If you can't have that conversation, then the thing a person is complaining about and also holding on to at the same time, how are you ever supposed to see progress unless you have that conversation that it's working and until they find a better way to get their needs met, they'll never
1: let go of that thing. Do they get an aha moment when they realize, oh gosh, that's why I do this because I'm getting a payoff for it. This is my magic card. Mm. So you're saying cards on the table. Let's talk about about this. Why do you keep using this card versus... The alternative, I guess that some of them would say, well, it's just going to be much harder if I don't have my magic card. I'd have to do things or I'd have to face things that I've been avoiding. Of course,
0: which is then why the conversation always comes back to insecurities. Like, so
1: what are you afraid of? What's this
0: story you've got in your head that says you couldn't face things? So you need to choose depression as your best strategy to protect you from what you're most afraid of, because that's ultimate secondary gain. We hang on to the things, the dysfunctional things, because they protect us from what we are most afraid of. And what we are always most afraid of is our own worst opinions about ourselves being confirmed by
1: the world. So it, it always comes back to this insecurity piece. That's since underneath all dysfunction. The Pigeon Pear book is right next to your book on my bookshelf for the sort of the, this category is The Courage to Be Disliked, which has an Adlerian philosophy. But it, it, I guess it's, it's coming at it from a similar angle that. We do most of the things we do out of fear that someone won't like us or that that they'll see us in a way that makes us feel less secure. Mm. Um, So if we could fix that, then we can have a different life. Of course. You have a framework for this, Mm. and it seems like the first step is to just actually open up to the idea that that we should be aware of this. Would people just be immune or numb to it or not even ever spending a, a second trying to figure it out? Well,
0: if you think a bit globally, so think, talk human condition, I would say my best summary of that is we all want to be good, like we want to be a good person. We're actually just afraid we're not, that some part of us is actually not good. And so for fear of that part of us ever being exposed, we run or we hide. So the idea of actually turning and facing and examining all the parts of us for fear of what might be exposed is too much for most people. So you know, most of my days spent coaxing scared kittens out from under the lounge with a saucer of milk. You know, the, ang- the angst people have around their past. People say to me, oh, Jay, when you're a coach, a coach is a forward focus. We're talking about strategies, results. Like, you're not a therapist. We don't go back into the past, do we? And I say, oh, I never take people back into the past. Um, oh, I mean, except where it's necessary. Yeah, and it's always bloody necessary. So, you know, giddy up. Of course, we're going back because that's the whole structure of how you were here. You don't want to deconstruct that and you want to get different results in the future. But the amount of angst people have, the terror around what they will see, and because it's been so long since they've turned the light on and had a look, you know, it's Jordan Peterson, things that go unnamed become monsters that consume you. So <laughs> fear unexamined always gets bigger, but fear examined is always diminished because you you see, oh, what am I running and hiding from? Oh, an opinion I formed about myself when I was five? Okay, an opinion. Well, maybe... I got it wrong i've never really examined it i've just assumed i got it right so um yeah there's plenty that can be done but the angst
1: around having the first step having a look it's big it's a big deal for people so that's your self-awareness step and it's just like just letting people create that safe space absolutely a side thought came up for me when when you're talking about your own brand insecurity and people thinking oh gosh that's well that's a little bit too much Jamin." Right? <laughs> right you're obviously taking that out into a a less than safe space, you know, like the public market where you could be criticised, where people could throw stones at you, where you could have peers poo-pooing you or you could, you know, in some cases people even they're putting so much stuff out there they get cancelled out mm-hmm. um, by, you know, by lobbyists or bigger organisations who have a, an agenda. How do you get comfortable going into a, an open market, I suppose, with things that people could criticize you for because I feel like this is definitely something that might impact entrepreneurs. Mm. I know it. I, if I put my brand out, I've got, I'm running off my own website. I've got a podcast. Yeah. There's a chance that someone will come and troll my YouTube video and say some little comment that um, I imagine they think is designed to make me feel worse but is probably more about something going on with their insecurity. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Uh, one of the things I think about for my own life is to live a life with nothing to prove and nothing to defend. So to me, that's the definition of security, that I know, I know who I am and I'm okay even with nothing. So all the things I think I need to prove that I'm good, to prove that I am at to prove that I have value, I often examine. And even if I had that, even if I sell no more books, even if I, my wife was to leave me, even if my kids to grow up and don't want to have any relationship with me, I know who I am. I think I'm a great husband. I think my my kids are blessed to have me. I think what I've written is exceptional. I think I'm good at what I do so my opinion matters and I take great responsibility for being the being the chief validator in my own life to source my own needs for certainty and significance and so that's my best insulation because then I don't need so I'm free then to give out of the overflow of that and to go play in the world and if someone was to you know, take exception, find a reason to cancel. It would be a, it would be a horrible experience. I'm not suggesting that, but it wouldn't ruin me. It would not be the end. I wouldn't have to retreat anywhere. I would have to, you know, suffer whatever consequences and then and then go again. So that's I think the only way for entrepreneurs to really show up in the world and to be themselves is to not uh, have it all riding on their performance. If my significance is attached to my performance, I cannot
1: have it jeopardized. And if it is, I die and it becomes catastrophic. I mean, that must be tremendously liberating if you can get to the point where I like what you said, you're your own self validator. Mm. It's like holding that power Mm. and not giving it to someone else. It's sort of a line that along that sort of expression about you can only give your power away, right? People can't take it from you. And once you're in that place, then you're free, I guess, to do whatever you feel like. So some of those things would be terrible, but you'd still be able to sit within yourself about that and and these things happen to a lot of people i mean i, I imagine a large percentage of marriages don't end up working out and i've seen uh, quite a lot of people be badly affected by that to the point you know they'll go on a drinking <laughs> spree or they'll throw away their business success or whatever because they just make terrible choices as a result of it you say something in the book about that we are not our choices or we are not our behaviors can you just expand on that a bit
0: or well, to give credit to Tony Robbins, I think his finest contribution to the personal development space is his work on six core needs and the earliest version I think is best. I, I, have, I do think it's been diluted slightly over the years, but nevertheless, the great contribution is to separate behavior from intention. So typically we think behavior is the, is the most accurate indicator of character. So if someone steals, ah, oh, you are a thief. Someone lies, you are a liar. We have cultural statements like a leopard can't change its spots. You know, once a cheater, always a cheater. So we assume behavior is everything. But if you examine the system, then you realize, no, behavior is at the end of the assembly line. Behavior flows out of our beliefs. So behavior is an attempt to to bring peace and comfort. Behavior is an attempt to meet one or more or, or all of our core needs, certainty, variety, significance, love, contribution, and growth. So when you see that, it doesn't ever justify your behavior, but it helps you to understand And reconcile some of your poor behavior, some of your past mistakes, some of the things that have only increased your insecurity because you've gone, yeah, I am a terrible person because I did that thing that hurt me and hurt others. So the aim uh, for adults is to understand the intention of the behavior, what need is it meeting, and then find more internal and resourceful ways to meet those needs so that then their behavior is in line with their values and they're not behaving in ways that's dysfunctional and hurtful. So I think when you can separate behavior from intention and really see it as a system, then you realize it is not an indicator of your character. It never has been. It's just an attempt
1: to bring peace and comfort. And then you can keep improving your behavior. And that's a beautiful experience. So it sounds like if we're insatiably curious about our self and why we do things, that could be a good path to travel.
0: Of course. And the only way you'll be able to do that thoroughly is without judgment because you cannot do awareness and judgment at the same time. Uh, It's not safe in case what your awareness reveals implicates you. So that's why people aren't curious. They're curious to a point, then there's pockets of their past that are untouchable. Because what if I see something that proves I'm terrible? When you separate behavior from intention and have no judgment, then you go, well, there's nothing that can be seen. (laughs) I'm inherently doing good, doing the best I know how. Um, I have behaved in ways that have hurt me, and hurt others, but that doesn't define me, so then I can it's safe to see anything now, and as soon as you
1: can see it, well then you, of course you can upgrade it. So you're saying that we can review ourselves without judgment
0: Well, that's the only way to review yourself yep. without judgment dispassionately. It's very difficult to do that entirely yourself because we are subjective creatures and we're we're in our own you know perspective of the world. have many biases and, and uh, so forth of course so. <laughs> In my model around overcoming insecurity, practice five is get help from someone who doesn't care about you. So I think it aligns to the hero's journey in that there's always a wisdom character. There's always a Gandalf, a a Yoda, a Dumbledore, a Mr. Miyagi, someone who's outside the hero, who's not the hero, who shows the way and then is gone. So I, I do, you know, I am a coach. I love the value of coaching. I think about the great coaches in my life over the years who've been able to hold a clean space for me. And create safety for me to examine pockets of my psyche. I couldn't find safety to see myself. So I, th- I think, yeah, perhaps it is possible to do to, to a full self awareness totally on your own, but I think um, it certainly is sped up and made more effective when you have someone who can sit with you without wanting for you or from you.
1: I love that. I think that's where you've been helping people. And certainly I've hoped to bring a lot of that to the people I'm helping, even though it's come in generally in a business context, it's always mm-hmm. been about the person. Ultimately, these small businesses that I'm helping are really reflections of how well enabled the person is. Mm, Sure. And, you know, it's like, it's multidimensional. I want to just switch topics a little bit because it's too good a question not to ask, but part of your framework is around realistic expectations and, you know, talk about uh, setting unattainable standards. We hear some of the popular influencers or whatever, they, they talk about setting these grand, you know, biggest versions of yourself, shoot for Mars, right? And if you just make it to the moon, you've still made it further than Earth, right? Mm-hmm. But I wonder if that's damaging. Mm.
0: I, I think it is very damaging. Um I got to do a, a TEDx about purpose and it was a, a youth conference. So they were curious around how do you find your life's purpose? And there's a lot of rhetoric around, you know, these ultimate massive expectations on a person what I observe is often a person's quest to do the unachievable or push further than ever before is an attempt to validate their existence. It's to prove if I could do something no one's ever done before, then that would prove unequivocally that I am a good person and I matter. And so I think it it cannot be our purpose to prove that we matter. Like That's our work. Our work is to examine the narratives we've said that we don't matter. Deconstruct them and update them and know we do matter so that then you're free to show up and connect with the purpose that's bigger than you and not even about you. There's no neediness. You're not on a quest, on a mission to do anything you're able to give out of the overflow. So I think then you're much more likely to set goals that are beautiful, that are um, sustainable, that are good for you and good for others that are not driven and not catastrophic, that actually don't create a you know, raft of chaos behind you, which is often what happens. These people, they go hard and then they blow up and you don't see them for 10 or 20 years or maybe never again. So no surprise that again, I, I weaved in insecurity to that answer, answer to your question.
1: I want you to, if it's relevant, and I appreciate that. You know, When I put my book out, Work Less, Make More, mm. it rubs some of the hustlepreneurs the wrong way because they're like, well, you, you're underselling yourself. You should be able to do more, be greater, be more efficient, you know, have a 27-step power routine in the morning and meditation, <laughs> yeah. general, all that shit, right? We, we know no one actually does that. If they do, they're probably just unhinged maybe, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. But I do see like we tend to champion people who ha- have got crazy behavioral shortcomings, uh, just a couple of examples that come to mind because I like to watch or read you know, biographies and autobiographies and documentaries. Henry Ford celebrated, but also he, you know he created pretty much like a camp where his employees had to live and work and, and he'd go and inspect their homes and everything. He's a real authoritarian. Elon Musk, mm. the guy misses his birthday and never sees his kids and sleeps in the office. Like clearly he's extreme to the extreme mm-hmm. and uh, uh he's prob- perhaps an example of someone who would feel better if he was able to populate another planet like, he's definitely moving the needle for humanity in some ways but at a massive i imagine personal cost just a martyrdom <laughs> in a way <laughs> bill gates well he's not very popular with anyone who doesn't like pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. uh, or sort of many african villages There's the young thirty. Let's talk about the thirty-year-olds who don't have kids and work seven days a week. And of course, they're going to get big business results, but at what cost? They're not going to pull up in the lineup beside me for a surf because they're busy working. And it's like it's all all one way. So every time I see these, oh, and Warren Buffett, he said in a documentary that I watched that he always felt that uh, having the most money is the way that you keep score in life. Mm. So like he still works now and like reads and what have you, humble existence. So there's lots of pros and cons for all of these things. Gary V mm. basically in the back of taxis texting to, you know, just always on the go, go, go like because mm. he wants to buy the jets because it would make his mum happy because she needed him at Cardigan when he was a kid. Right. It all just seems f- so flawed when I look at it, and I guess I'm judging based on my version of life and what I want from it. And I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I find when I'm bringing in people to help them with business, they almost always have this ingrained, it used to be a million dollars. It used to be they want a million dollars, but I'm often working with people who already have achieved that. For them, it's always $10 million. And if they've achieved 10, it's always a hundred million dollars. These are the numbers preset. They're just rammed into the software Mm. of the modern day entrepreneur. And I want to particularly address Probably the the demographic I help the most, and it's surprising. If you went back 15 years ago, I was helping 45 to 60-year-olds. The ones I help the most now are 25 to 35. They're the ones that have never probably worked in a real job. They usually don't have kids. They've only come up in the online world, and I'm like the seasoned old guy twice their age with life experience to give them a guiding hand and you know up until i read your book of course i probably really did feel like i care about them i do care about them but i mean i could <laughs> pretend not to if it creates a yes. clean space right it's like that one's still a tough one but they must be looking at all of these people and i think it back to when i was in my 20s when i was 23 or or, or whatever i was you know number one in the country for mercedes benz and i was wearing my rolex and i was wearing fancy shoes and i had to be, i had you know the 20 year old male testosterone and hormones that made me need to show the world that I'm the man, it took me decades to shake that off. Now I don't wear my Rolex and I don't need to impress someone else. And I can just exist in life and not try to be impressive or whatever. you know, I don't go out of my way not to be, but I don't go out of my way to be because I'm, like you're saying, I'm self-validating myself. But what advice would you have for those young 20-year-olds who have seen all this and they think that is the goal? Yeah. Well. I think perhaps the most
0: important diagram I've ever created is the relationship between insecurity and performance over time. Uh, And it stopped me preaching to young people about not being insecure because what I discovered is that insecurity is like rocket fuel uh, in your 20s more, more often than not. And people do extraordinary things all off the back of proving and defending and The people who are secure don't really do much because they're already fine. So having that need to prove and defend, I find I do not try and take that from people before it's um, created chaos. But I do forecast chaos is coming. That is a law of diminishing returns. If you are still being driven by insecurity beyond midlife, you are now the insecure wanker in the room. If you are still desperate to prove that you are valuable because of your performance, like it's a descent into madness. So I, I say to people, so I'm working with 35 to 45-year-olds predominantly who are now in that pain point. A, they're, they're wondering why self-discipline doesn't work anymore because they've pushed themselves so hard for so long. The, the internal relationship with themselves is so broken that they're finding their unconscious has jammed a handbrake, and gone, you're a crazy person, I'm not playing this game with you. And so they're finding a bunch of weird stuff and they don't understand it. And so... um, To answer your question, insecurity might serve you. And if you want to use it, okay, it'll produce some things. But in the end, you won't really want what they've got for you. What you really want, what you've always wanted, is to feel like you are a good person. And nothing will ever give you that. Uh, You could get the world and still not know that. And all the stories of the people who got the world and still don't know that. Matthew Perry's book is, um, if you've read that or listened to that, worst book I've ever read, but top of my most recommended <laughs> list right now because he's a guy who got the
1: world and didn't realise the game it was playing. Well, there's a lot of those. There's a lot of that stories, right? Like Any rotto is. winner, for example. Yep. God, that could also, by the way, that could be the most Aussie thing I've heard on this podcast in over a thousand episodes, <laughs> you're that you're the wanker in the room. I love that so much because there. look, let's face it. There are so many wankers online and I've recognized it from day one. When I came in, I'm like, look at these idiots, these tosses, like absolute. They're so full of shit. And it it used to drive me insane, but then I realized it's not up to me to convert everyone to be just like me. Right. Like it'd be boring if everyone was just like me and the universe equilibrates. I'm not sure that's the word, but anyway, the dust settles. And (laughs) what I found after 15 years, I'm still playing a really good values-based ethical game and I enjoy it and life's fantastic. And like you said, they they blow up and then disappear. Mm. Some of them mutate each time the the shovels change for whatever the gold is on offer, right? And they're just like, wow, how do they not get exhausted? And so I really like this point you're saying, this this explain it for me because I had a lot of conflict around, but I was driven by insecurity in my twenties. I was I needed to conquer, I needed to achieve the things I achieved to get to the point where I no longer needed to prove to anyone else. And then I was just comfortable in my own skin. That took decades. I literally, I'm 30 years older now Mm. than when I needed to win competitions like that. And I would say I'm collaborative now and and less competitive. It's because I already have achieved everything. And that's what you can't have that experience when you're 20. You have to go and get it to then not need it, it's a paradox.
0: I think you're right, and that's why I stopped preaching to young people about insecurity. Yeah, go run the race, go let insecurity drive. You go see what's possible, but no, a time is coming where this will ruin your life, and when you're there, and you never thought you got there because you thought I was full of shit when I was telling you this at the time, but when you get there and this madness is you're realising, hang on, all my best energy is going to proving and defending that I matter. How's that a smart game to play? what if I already knew that I matter, then I could direct my best energy into contribution and growth. That would be a different game to play. So I just find when people are ready for that conversation, it's a beautiful conversation to have and a very predictable process to transition over from insecurity to security. And I think that's when the game really starts, when you get to play the secure game. And they're the best humans. They're the people doing the best work in the world off a secure platform. They're not needy. They're not desperate. They're not showing great things when really it's all about
1: proving their own existence. So, yeah, that's uh, when when you're ready, there is a way to not be insecure and it's beautiful. I bet you get the same thing that happens to me. I get texts, I get emails, I get them in my coaching thread. You were right. (laughs) When you said it, I didn't believe you, but now I know you're right and I've I've (laughs) wanted to fight you, but it's happened exactly everything you said. I've even got testimonials, like everything you said would happen, happened because you see the pattern over and over and over and over. And I've been through the pattern. Uh, It's like we said in the very beginning that if you've been in that, you've had that experience yourself, you're in a very good position to be able to observe and recognize this is unfolding in real time. So I, I more or less say the same thing. It's like I'm saying to other people, your, your goal is not to work less, make more unless that's your goal. That was my goal at this stage in life if you want to make 10 million or whatever, and you feel that that's the only thing that has to happen, I will help you achieve your goal. Mm. And here are the, uh, here's the label, right? Here's the warning that comes with that. Mm-hmm. And then that's up to them. And, and of course, what I have seen so many times people get married or have a family and life changes. And at each stage of that journey, I know what the next things that are likely to happen, happen before they do, which is probably why they pay to fast track the outcomes. And I'm sure in your case, You're providing people an external person to be able to create that clean space for them to fast track their self-awareness and to work on their problems much faster than if they just push it underneath the covers.
0: That's exactly right. And to your point, you're right. Like That's the title of the book, Elegantly Simple Solutions to Complex People Problems. People imagine their problems are complicated and unique, and they're not. It's so predictable. There's so much patterns. And if you can be an engineer and think pragmatically about human behavior, then it's change is not even possible, it's just inevitable if you understand the process so yeah, a lot of fun
1: So just in uh, in final wrapping up for now, of course I recommend people go and get the book, read the book we'll put a link, to it. it's, on, it's on Amazon it's also on your website, I'll mention that jaminfraser.com and I'm going to have to spell that Jamin uh, J-A-E-M-I-N Fraser, F-R-A-Z or Z-E-R dot com, go and check out Jamin's stuff, I like highly recommend it's uh thought provoking it's it's and uh, by the way I also like how you do credit where you've learned things from it's something that I do and I appreciate and respect because it's also uncommon and it's good to hat tip the people that came before us and uh, um and I I just want to be a beacon of good resources for Mm. people who listen to this podcast and you're a good resource it's even you know I don't choose where you're from when I pick up the book, but it turns out you're an Australian as well and mm. uh, I, I love the work you're doing. What would be your actionable item for someone who's got all the way through this episode, right? They've stuck with us the whole way. They're, they're, they're firing off neurons. From my experience, what I've noticed when we start talking about big concepts like this, it can actually overload people and they start mm. to build resistance and friction that their version of the world has just changed on a, yes. on a flick of the switch. And that can actually cause people to need to go and have a lie down or whatever. But as an expert in, in this sort of transition, you've seen people, you know, have the aha moment. What should we do next?
0: Uh, I've developed two diagnostics um, just to help people come to terms with the fact that insecurity, yeah, I've, you know, something I've not wanted to think about and not talk about. Is it even there? I've just gone, well, take a test. See how how insecurity is actually costing you. Maybe it's not costing you. But what if it is, here's the five areas that it's going to cost you, if it's going to cost you at all, take a test, see what what the scores are, see what it's like. And it just, it gets your eyes on a part of your awareness that perhaps hasn't been visible to you. And I think that then starts a path of thinking, wow, if that is really costing me a lot, I don't want it to keep costing me. What can be done about that? And that curiosity will, will guide your path. Or if it's not costing you at all, well then great, then wait until it
1: is and then you'll know where to come find me. Love it. Thank you so much, Jamin Fraser. This is episode 1042 at jameshramco.com. We'll put all the show notes and links off to the website. I really appreciate this chat. Thanks, James. It was great. This is James Shramko.